Thank you so much for that, all of the music today. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, uh, we're in a sermon series for the season of Lent, Finding Our Rhythm. There's the graphic that we've been using, Finding Our Rhythm, Lining Up with the Heartbeat of God, Learning to Be uh, in Step with God, Learning to Get Life's Rhythm, and it's a time of discernment, a time of listening to the Spirit. And we know that uh, we, have to, we can't do that unless we return, which was last Sunday's topic, and unless we learn to rest, as Brooke was talking to the children. And so this morning's scripture is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 30 through 34. In just a moment, I'm going to read that, and I want you to keep this theme in mind about finding God's rhythm, not only individually, but as a congregation. And we're going to read that scripture about rest uh, from Mark the sixth chapter beginning in verse 30 in just a moment. Right now, I invite us to bow our heads, to uh, be in God's presence for a time of silence and meditation and reflection, and I'll lead us in prayer. Loving Lord, every day there is this parade of provision that you make for us. Sleep and food and shelter and rest and the freedoms we enjoy, families, church family, all the ways that you bless us. Our salvation through Jesus Christ, the infinite blessings that we experience as we learn more about following you. We thank you. Our hearts overflow with gratitude. We bring to you, Lord, this morning our burdens for those who are sick, those who are dealing with critical illness, those who are facing surgery, those who are dealing with mental illness, emotional pain, family strife, financial hardship, those who are dealing with the burdens of sin and those who are seeking to find their way to Jesus as Jesus finds his way to them. Bless, we pray. And God, during this season of Lent, when we think about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, we pray that you would disturb us when we grow selfish and teach us more about being like Christ as Christ lives in us. Wherever we are, whatever the struggle, uh, may you free us in our hearts from all that would bind us and enslave us. Free us from violence and hatred and bigotry, and teach us to live in the shadow of the cross where there is forgiveness not only for us, but for those around us as well. Open our hearts, God, with understanding. Open our minds to your truth, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. If you are able, would you please stand as I read aloud the uh, sixth chapter of Mark, beginning in verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried 
there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. May God bless this word to our hearts. You may be seated. It was uh, earlier this winter in the heart of winter. The day was dismal. Uh, I'd been dealing with uh, the scourge of disease and death as it worked its way through our congregation. I had been dealing with uh, issues of poverty in our own community. I'd been dealing with the numbing recurrence of deadlines and all those things that I didn't realize it at the time, but I was all tensed up. I looked up, and there was Rod Maple standing in the doorway of my office, and he said, come with me. So I followed him, and we came into the sanctuary, and when we opened that door, there was this piano music that was just filling the sanctuary, the empty sanctuary. This was the middle of the week. Rod's piano teacher from his childhood was passing through town, and she came to say hi, and she was just sitting at the piano, just playing beautifully, and the music was unbelievable. And we just sat down, and we just listened. And I just felt all the tension in my shoulders draining away. I just felt all this rest come over me. And I remember I had two other thoughts. The first one was, now if I could just get someone to rub my shoulders, (laughs) I'd be fast asleep. And the other one was, why don't we do this every day? Just take a break, listen to beautiful music, and take a breath. Resting is hard for us because something somewhere told us that we always have to be doing, that we always have to be producing. We are a tired people. We're tired. And we are ragged around the edges. And you know, I've decided that our new national hero in our culture today, you know who our new new national hero is? It's the person who works in Starbucks or Dunbro's who does the drive-through window and does 18 things at once. She's got her headset on, and while she's preparing your caramel macchiato with skim milk extra hot... She's also taking the order of the car behind you, and she's ringing up the bill of the car in front of you. And for all I know, she's studying French and polishing her nails at the same time. Multitasking is the latest thing. Multitasking is the thing we brag about. So you see... We're not even at the point of thinking about rest because we're, we're no longer talking about doing one thing at a time. We're talking about doing lots of things at the same time and how that's a virtue. And so we got a long way to go to get to rest. But rest is what we need. Rest is uh, the journey that we're on. Now, we uh, do a lot of things Poorly, We make a lot of mistakes, but basically we brag to ourselves, we do busy really well. You know, we may mess up on a lot of things, but we can really do busy. But we forget 
what Meister Eckert once said. He said, God is not found in the soul by adding anything. God is found in the soul by subtracting. We find peace with God, a relationship with God, and maybe peace with ourselves and a relationship with ourselves better, not by adding and piling things on, but by subtracting, by taking away. Twice in our scripture, verses 31 and 32, the phrase is used in Mark 6, a deserted place apart. He said to them, come away to a deserted place apart. In verse 32, they found their way uh, to a deserted place apart. Vance Havner used to say, if we don't come apart and rest, we'll simply come apart. And he was right. If we don't take time to rest, we sort of just fall to pieces. Now, in order to understand rest, the Bible's always inviting us to step back, take a breath, and look at the big picture. The big picture rest is not just about sleeping eight hours. The big picture rest is about spiritual and emotional rest. And all through, all through Scripture, we get this, this point loud and clear that because of the work that Jesus Christ did, we may rest in God's love. We don't have to work to be loved by God. We rest in God's love. God already loves us. Because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, we may rest in the forgiveness of sins. Our past is forgiven. We don't have to earn that. We don't have to work frantically to produce that, to pay for that. We rest in that that God has already forgiven us. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, we know a peace and a power in our lives for daily living. We don't work that up ourselves. It is something we rest in. And because of the work of Jesus Christ, we have the hope of an eternal relationship with God that cannot be severed even by death. And again, we don't earn that. We don't work frantically, feverishly for it. It's ours as a gift. We rest in that. Now, our past is forgiven. There's power and love in the present. There's the hope of eternity. All that we rest in but the place we struggle is with today, learning to rest in God today, learning to trust God right now and enter into that rest that he offers us moment by moment. That's, that's the hard part. What kinds of things do we need to rest in, rest from? Uh, and of course, I'm not thinking here about the physical rest, but the emotional and the spiritual as well. What kind, of, what kind of things tire us out, drain energy away from us? Well, look at the scripture. Uh, if you looked at the context, the verses and the stories surrounding the scripture that we just read from Mark chapter 6, you would see that Jesus has just learned the news that John the Baptist has died. He didn't just die, he was executed. He was martyred. John is Jesus' cousin. Jesus knew that grief required time, that when you experience a significant loss, you have to take time to grieve. Jesus knew that grief requires energy, and Jesus knew that he and his disciples needed to get away. What loss are you grieving today? What loss are you dealing with? It might be the loss of a loved one. It might be the loss of 
some significant relationship in your life. It might be any number of losses, but we're all experiencing losses constantly. But if we don't take time to grieve, it just drains the energy away from us. Jesus was taking time away with his disciples, not only because of his grief. Uh, John the Baptist had died, and Jesus was thinking in his mind, that's the faith that's waiting for me if I keep obeying God. If I keep preaching God's message, I'm going to end up like John the Baptist. And that takes energy to figure out your life mission, to, to find the courage to keep doing what God has called you to do despite opposition, despite all the whispers of take it easy, take the easy road out. Jesus had to deal with his focus on his life mission, his priorities. And then think of all the criticism he was getting. How draining is that? And think of all the people who needed him. Later in this chapter, the people are just coming from everywhere, needing something from him. And we all know what that feels like. We enjoy being needed, but sometimes what people need from us and of us is just so debilitating and so draining. And we get tired. And so Jesus knew that he needed rest and the disciples needed rest. And it wasn't just rest. He said, come apart by yourselves. Come apart to this deserted place by yourselves. There's power in solitude, and Jesus recognized that. There's power in getting away by yourself. Now, I get it that introverts already have figured that out. You introverts out there, you know that you get your battery charged from being by yourself. But some of us extroverts are a little slow on the uptake. And I'm suggesting to you this morning that maybe extroverts need to practice solitude more than introverts because for introverts it comes naturally. But for us extroverts, we have to discipline ourselves to schedule time away and time alone. And by the way, solitude is not the same as loneliness. I want to show you a quote by Richard Foster in his famous book, Celebration of Discipline. He says, loneliness brings inner emptiness. Solitude brings inner fulfillment. Loneliness is that existential isolation that absolutely empties us. But solitude is that being alone with God that refuels and recharges and energizes us. And that's what Jesus was calling us to and calling the disciples to. Now, we see in this scripture that Jesus was smart enough to know what he needed and what his disciples needed. Now, in this particular experiment, it didn't work. They tried to get away by themselves and the crowd beat them uh, to the place and they didn't have the time alone. But if you read the Gospels in their entirety, you see Jesus continually withdrawing finding the secret to his strength by being alone with God, by, by resting his body and resting his mind and his spirit to, to worship and to refuel and to prepare himself what's ahead. Now, we often mention that Jesus draws away for privacy, but we don't often talk about what he, what he accomplishes, what, what energy that gives him and what, what purpose that serves. I want you to look with me in your Bibles in verse 34. And I want you to notice the power of the verbs. He went ashore. He saw the great crowd. He had compassion. See, verse 34 is telling us that because Jesus knew the disciplines of rest, 
He knew the rhythms of his own life. He was able to, when his rest was interrupted, not resent it, but to wade into the crowd where the crowd was waiting for him and go ashore. That's incarnational. The incarnation means we don't wait for people to come to us. We wade into the crowd. We go into that that point of need. And he could do that because he'd been energized by rest, if not at this time, certainly at other times. He saw the great crowd. You know, when we get tired, we don't see people anymore. When we get tired and worn out, we don't see the need in front of us because we're so absorbed with our own need and our own exhaustion. But when we're rested in the Lord, we actually see people. We see them and we know their names. And then the third is connected to that. He didn't just see them, he had compassion. The verb means that he was moved deeply from within his being. There was this this crying, agonizing compassion that came out as he saw the brokenness of lives. Now, here's the simple point. If we don't rest, we'll never wade into the crowd, we'll never go ashore. We'll stay aloof. If we, don't, if we don't find rest spiritually and emotionally and physically, we'll never really see the crowd. And if we don't rest, we'll never have compassion. When we are not rested spiritually, we grow irritable, we grow unkind, and we grow uncaring. And only in the Lord can we stay fresh and rested and strong to have the compassion. Because remember, Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. That's our world today, isn't it? Isn't that our culture? Aimless, people living from weekend to weekend, people uh, living from one thrill to the other, having no direction, no purpose. People hungry, Longing, lost, confused. We see those people. Jesus saw those people when he was rested. He could see them. He could experience them. And by the way, churches need to rest just like people need to rest. You know, one of the reasons that our church is entering into this season of discernment during the season of Lent and then the rest of the, the spring and summer and fall, uh, a season of strategy planning that you've heard us talk about. One of the reasons we're doing that is that churches need to rest. Churches need to draw aside and to just listen to the Lord and be refueled and re-energized. And one of the things that the Lord's teaching me as I think about this process, and especially from this scripture, is that when we get ready as a church to think about our mission and God's focus for us, We're not just going to learn what we're supposed to be doing by reading Scripture, by doing internal things, like reading the Bible, praying, talking to one another who are already in church, reading our church's history, studying our values. We're not not going to discover our mission just by turning inward. Did you know that we're going to discover a lot more about our mission if we're turning outward? The sheep without the shepherd are going to tell us more about our mission than maybe we can learn out of any book. The lonely, the hungry, the homeless, the lost, the confused, the marginalized, the people on the fringes, they're going to be the ones that have so much to teach us if we're willing to listen. If we're willing to listen. Like sheep without a shepherd. 
That's how Jesus saw them. That's how we see them when we're rested and when we can see them. Churches need to rest. Uh, I mentioned to you uh, several weeks ago in the series on Resetting Life's Compass about the book that's out entitled Slow Church. The idea of slow church is uh, the authors make a, making a comparison between uh, fast food drive through meals that you eat, gobble down, and forget about as you're driving. The difference between that and a fine dining experience where you eat somewhere where the, the restaurant has raised its own vegetables and they've prepared the meal with great thought and care and they serve it with great presentation and the dining experience is something you long remember not only for its physical nourishment but for its restful experience. Slow church. Churches that learn to just slow down and be in the presence of God churches that learn to rest. Now, think about this. If the church today is the body of Christ on earth, if after the resurrection, Jesus wanted us to be his physical presence on earth, then doesn't it follow that Jesus' body on earth should follow the same rhythm that his earthly body followed when he was walking on earth? Times of rest, times of work, Times of rest, times of intensive labor. We need to find the rhythm of Jesus. And speaking of the rhythm of Jesus, I want you to listen to this verse from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, uh, translated out of the message. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. And work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That's what it means to line up with the heartbeat of God. That's what it means to find our rhythm. To find out the rhythm that Jesus had. And for our church to walk and to live in that rhythm. And to find the unforced rhythms of grace. Several years ago, I heard the actress Brooke Shield interviewed on television. And the interviewer asked her, what's your favorite sound? And she smiled, and without hesitation, she said, my favorite sound is my baby snoring. She said, it's the most beautiful sound in the world. When my little one is safe, and my little one is snoring. What if God's favorite sound is not our cantatas, not our music, our praise band, our sermons, our prayers, or if God's favorite sound isn't even the whirring of a saw and the pounding of a hammer at the latest habitat site? What if God's favorite sound is his people snoring, resting in his grace? The pleasure that God must take when we can cease our labors and say, God, it's all up to you. I'm going to rest. I'm going to trust. I'm going to rest in your grace.
During this season of Lent, we are uh, taking a special moment of quiet during our response and invitation time. So I would like to invite you to all stand right now as the musicians come uh, to take their places for our time of response. But before we have that time of response, I want to remind you what we've been doing during this Lenten time. Uh, We're going to take a minute, 60 seconds of pure silence. No music, nobody talking, no singing. Just a time for us to be in God's presence, to listen, to discern, and to experience what God might have for us in that silence. And then after that, when we begin our response time music, if you're ready this morning to, uh, for the first time, enter into the rest of Jesus, to cease your labors and to trust him with your soul for salvation, some of us will be here at the front to pray with you and help you with that. Some will be here to uh, help you if you want to rededicate your Christian life or join this church, or pray about a special calling on your life, whatever it is, uh, we'll be here and we'll be available. But that's after uh, we start singing. Right now, I'd like to invite you to just bow your heads and uh, begin a time of silence.